And we're back. Happy November, everybody. Uh, past Halloween, getting to Christmas. It all flies by from here, enjoying Thanksgiving. This is Noah Baker again with Voices of Construction. Hope everyone's lives are as uncomplicated as possible and going well. Uh, we have another episode for you guys today dropping, um, I believe, on Veterans Day. I normally record these a little prior to that, so it should be with you next Thursday. And with that to come, we actually have two vets on the podcast today with Andrew as well as Aaron Matkin from Relevate. Aaron is quite the guy. Um, everything from currently a lean consultant with Relevate worked in defense intelligence special forces he's a retired green beret basically one of the more interesting people you could speak to in terms of his stories but also just insanely well versed on link construction we talk a lot about the comparison between his experience in the military and his experience um, in construction why we see that kind of overlap with the professionals we talk to every day also, Andrew, I think you've all heard Andrew before, but Mr. Pylon is a employee here at TouchPlan as well as a veteran Marine. Um, worked as a superintendent, did a ton of cool stuff. I really love talking to these guys. They were both able to get in the same room and, and really have a conversation. And on behalf of myself and everyone at TouchPlan, we just wanna throw a big thank you out there for everyone who's served um, happy Veterans Day. You deserve our respect and our thanks. So thanks again. Please enjoy our Veterans Day episode of Voices of Construction. Thanks so much. Talk soon. I would love to thank you guys for, for jumping on uh, VOC and taking the time out of the night. What I, I normally like to do is kind of kick it off with, with life story intros. Um, <laughs> allowing you to start from wherever in history you want to start but with the the nature of both your backgrounds and and when this is going to be released for veterans day i would love to kind of hear about the the early life stages why you guys got into the army and why the special forces and we can kind of just go from there definitely sounds good uh we'll start with Aaron first yep so uh early life for me born in san diego um maternal grandfather was navy my dad's side, they had a church in southern San Diego, close to the Mexican border, and uh, just proximity. That's how my parents met. And uh, so I was born there, then moved around San Diego a bunch uh, when I was a kid. And then at 14, we moved to Oklahoma, which is originally from where my my uh, father's side is from, from way back uh, but uh, my aunt had moved back there with her husband. And so we moved back there after the stock market crash in the eighties. And uh, my mom wanted to be close to her sister. And uh, despite my protests, uh, we moved back to rural Oklahoma. So uh, kind of a split upbringing between, you know, kind of city and suburb life and then country life. So it's a good split there, uh, but it was good. Uh, it was good kind of a, take a step back, slow down a little bit, getting introduced to new things. Uh, really, you know, San Diego was all, you know, playing soccer as a kid. And then Oklahoma, they're like, what's soccer? You know, in the mid eighties. So, uh, I was know. just about to ask, were you the, were you the, the city kid that showed up? Oh, a hundred percent. 
hundred yeah, percent quite with your with your surfing lifestyle my, and my eating surfer sushi hair and playing and, soccer and yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly like I ran track at, at both places track was fine at both places but uh, like I, I started in eighth grade at a school where you a could not wear shorts and the only pants I had were like Sunday going to church pants and I was like what uh, so. Yeah, it uh, was a big switch from like, you know, being a skateboarder, you know, with like surfer hair and dressing like a prep to, you know, moving to where nobody wore slacks. It was just like Levi's 501, you know, nobody did anything with their hair, no male, you know, at that age. <laughs> Here I've got like surfer hair and it's just like, it was a funny transition, but uh yeah, there's no sidewalks really to speak of in rural Oklahoma. So uh, kind of a weird transition there, but it was good. Uh, once I got into high school, started wrestling, uh, found a good group of guys to hang out with. And so that, that worked out just fine. But it was good. It was a good transition uh, from like, yeah, busy city life to, to like, let's take a step back and, you know, a uh, little bit of country, country life there. So I got kind of a split upbringing there. Yeah, it's good. Cool. And then after high school, did you go directly from from yeah, high school into the – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just went direct right into the Army like two weeks later. Uh, I enlisted before my senior year started, and I was on the delayed enlistment program. And then like uh, a month after I signed the paperwork – uh, you know, I was young enough to where my mom had to, you know, co-sign kind of on the paperwork. And uh, like a month later, Desert Shield kicked off. And then my whole senior year, it was like, uh, you know, uh, are we going to get drafted? And I'm like, well, I already have a contract. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I already have a contract, so I'm good. Uh, you guys are all going, you know, straight to the infantry. But uh, yeah, so I went two weeks after high school, ran into the Army, uh, got pulled, I was supposed to be a mechanic of all things and got, my dad was a mechanic when I was a kid. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do that. That sounds good. Uh, and I got recruited into military intelligence to be a linguist when I, like, day one of the army, they were like at reception, like go take this language test. And so, uh, my first job in the army is military intelligence, Russian linguist. Uh, and so, yeah like right after high school, like right in there. And then did eight years active, uh, switched from military intelligence over to special forces. Uh, two years into my initial enlistment, this was Clinton era. So uh, I was doing, actually doing my job as a voice intercept guy, reorganized our unit a little bit. I got, went from, you know, working in the skiff and doing my job to being in the motor pool. And so, Motor pool was real fun. So I was like, okay, a buddy of mine got the notice to go to the special forces briefing. So he's like, Hey, do you want to tag along? I wasn't, I, I was a E3, you know, just a PFC still. And so I tagged along with him. I was about to get promoted to E4. And so went to that briefing and was like, okay, that's what I want to do. You know, they make it cool. It's a great video. You know, if you want to do something. So I decided, you know, if I'm going to stay in, you know, not just get out, you know, do the college thing uh, because that's why I joined. I think, you know, I joined the army specifically because uh, Marine Corps wasn't given college fund. They were just doing GI bill 
at the time and uh, went to the recruiter, talked to them, you know, hometown recruiter. Uh, didn't talk to the Marine Corps because they weren't given the college fund, but I did talk to the Air Force first. And uh, my dad had been drafted, my uncle had been drafted, and, and you know, did Vietnam and Korea, respectively. Uh, but then they were just like, just don't join the infantry. And I said, okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll do that. So didn't talk to the Marine Corps, walked, you know, they're all in one little cluster. Uh, I remember this pretty specifically. They're all in one little cluster. So I walk in, go to the Air Force guys, and my mom's with me. And the guy talks to us for a little bit, and then he's like, hey, do you want to watch this recruiting video? I'm like, sure. But I was in a pretty tough wrestling program in Oklahoma. They're big on wrestling. And uh, they were showing, like, the obstacle course part of the video. And... It was real brightly colored, kind of like a McDonald's playground. And I thought it was funny for some reason. I started laughing. My mom started laughing. He got mad and threw us out. So went across the hall to the Army guy and uh, talked, to, <laughs> talked to him. And yeah, ended up going into the Army. Uh, so yeah, once, like once I got that, in, like that, I said. That one, that one uh, childlike giggle probably uh, mm-hmm. determined a huge direction in your life. Huge huge direction in my life yeah yeah it was just like i if if that recruiting video had just been a little bit more you know just gung-ho hardcore and uh just i don't know just a little giggling and and funny enough my mom started giggling that 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 just made it worse and then yeah he got mad at both of us and threw us out i was like "Hmm, that's an interesting recruiting technique uh but uh yeah so the Army guy was really nice, uh, you know, stayed in touch over the next couple of weeks and, and uh, explained everything explicitly. So that was good. Uh, I didn't get, you know, tricked into this or tricked into that, you know. So, uh, but once I got in, uh, switched directly over to military intelligence before basic. And then that's the route I went. Uh, learned Russian, got stationed here, here in Texas of all places. And uh, after language school and then, uh, couple years here and then switched to special forces ended up in Colorado with 10 special forces group uh, finished out my team time there got out uh, and then government contract work overseas for a couple of years and then 9-11 happened came back from overseas I was doing pseudo diplomatic work over there uh, Republic of Georgia for State Department and then, uh, you know, seconded by the State Department to work for non-governmental organization overseas and then uh, worked for the Department of Energy just before that for a little bit, traveling to Russia, nuclear and non-proliferation program uh, for a short stint. And then uh, after 9-11, I was like, okay, going to college. It was temptation of going back in or going to college. So I joined the National Guard, went to Oklahoma State and just... Like, nope, I want to concentrate on college, you know. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, that's cool. why I ended up I ended up in the Army. Nice. And, and Andrew, I think your experience was a bit different um, between – because you were at Texas A&M, right, before you joined yeah, up? that's right. That's right. So, um, I also have uh, realized – if you can, Andrew, it would be it would be good to maybe explain a couple acronyms for the military layman's. I'm starting to realize that with this episode, I'm going to okay. have to do an entire fact check. 
that explains every single abbreviation and term that's happening, but that's fine. Our listeners will yeah, learn. That's it's okay. It's a completely different language. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. The acronyms are great, you know, because I'm sitting here just going, oh, yeah, yeah, he wants, yeah, for sure. I know what that is. <laughs> absolutely don't. Um, uh, but yeah, that's what you said so far. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I get it. I, I'm I'm on board with it. I'll just do a lot of fact checking. I'll the drive over. <laughs> yeah, I'll do a lot of fact checking and do like a you know a six minute intro explaining what is gonna happen and what they need to understand. Um, but Andrew, I know you were at Texas A and M, and then you actually, in terms of the relation, yeah, in terms of the relationship between kind of construction and the military, you went in as a like with another company for a little while and then joined up. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. It had a pretty uh, unique case, I would say. So, and, you know, as much noise as Aaron's been talking about rural Oklahoma, uh, that's kind of where I grew up and loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually from Tulsa. I uh, was born in liberal Kansas, if you know where that is. Yeah, that's where my wife's family is from on our mom's side. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing out there. Yeah, they're, they're Tyrone. They've still got a wheat farm out there. Oh, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You grew up uh, going back you know, once or twice a year. My, my old man and I really uh, like to go bird hunting out there. Some of the best uh, quail hunting you can find yeah. anywhere. Grouse, quail, yeah. 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 They've got a pheasant hunting lodge out there still. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's it's a gem. Mm. Uh, and so he grew up in uh, Oklahoma. I really enjoyed it. Jeff did the wrestling thing as well. You know, Oklahoma does have a, a reputation as a national wrestling powerhouse. There's actually a town called Perry, Oklahoma, not far from where Aaron went to school. I think you know, anyone who's ever wrestled knows where Perry is. Mm -hmm. Their football team is absolutely terrible, but their wrestlers are, are world class. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so grew up in Tulsa, went to Texas A&M right out of high school, joined the Corps of Cadets, actually started as an Army ROTC cadet, did that for about two and a half years, decided maybe it wasn't for me. Uh, but actually, after my freshman year, I got a taste of Special Forces. Uh, I went and I participated in exercise Robin Sage which was Aaron's, uh, was, that's, your, that's your proving exercise. That's your yeah, bathroom, that's a, right? That's our, you know, culmination exercise for the whole course, uh, you know, to work with a guerrilla force and get them up to, you know, from fledgling force to a fighting force. So we use whatever, you know, uh, you know, very junior group of people they can find for us. Uh, yeah. yeah. And that was me, you know, I was that part of that junior group of people to go work with these guys as they're being certified as special forces operators. They, they basically uh, threw me out in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina, gave me a, a light machine gun with, with blanks in it, of course, and said, face that direction, don't say anything, just do what we tell you to do. <laughs> That's about how that went for about two, two and a half weeks. Yep. Um, it was a blast. Yeah, I learned a lot from those guys and learned a lot about teamwork. And it was cool to see how, you know, you, you, you knew who the team captain was. You knew who the team sergeant was. 
but everyone else is just very much working together in, in the, the cross training they do with each other and, and uh, just how well they jived as a team was really cool. So that, that was my first glimpse into what Special Forces is and does. Um, and probably the most in-depth I've had since, but uh, I actually got out of Army ROTC, finished my degree, and then went to Marine Corps Officer Candidate School shortly thereafter, uh, commissioned directly into the reserves. It was 2013, sequestration, we were drawing down. I think I was the only male ground contract, or there was one male ground contract to come out of Texas in my uh, OCS cycle. So I actually got a reserve contract to start with just so I could get my foot in the door um, and decided it was a good role for me, get a good, good path forward. So I stayed with the reserves. I've uh, been doing that for eight years this month, actually. Awesome. So I've got a deployment in there too, um, about halfway through, but, uh, but I've been doing a you know, traditional reservist piece while working both as an engineer in the construction world um, and as a superintendent later as I got promoted. Awesome. Very cool. I mean, the, the stories are, are so different, but you guys, you guys all come together in the end and I'm seeing yeah. so much of it in, in construction. And I kind of like, I, I think about it a lot. I I've interviewed multiple people half of the time without knowing, um, that they were in some type of, you know, military in the U.S. in the U.K. I mean, Andrew, you know Dan. We know it's just yeah. so many, so many different people. Um, and Nick, who was our last episode, who is a legend. Um, but <laughs> we, <laughs> we I think all carrier pilots are legends. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I just wrote my acceptance. Uh, essay about crashing a Harrier jet uh, and got into Harvard. I'm like, all right, slow down guy. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, we, we spoke about it a little, but I'd love to kind of dive in and just have you guys kind of diagnose the, the transition from military into construction. I mean, I have my own ideas in terms of just the organization, the the type of work, working with your hands, working outside. There's a lot of teamwork, even though we don't, you know, highlight it all the time um, in the construction industry. But why do you think we see so many people transferring over into construction? Yeah, for me, it was, uh, I don't want to speak for Andrew, but for me, it was, you know, it's pretty easy for you know, Green Beret and the reserve, you know, the National Guard or, you know, retired to just walk right into contract work, government contract work specifically. Um, and a handful of guys start their own businesses, you know, you know, finish their degree or get their degree or get their master's and, and make a pretty easy transition to a civilian job. But uh, a lot of us just take the, I wouldn't say the easy route, but we go to government contract work and it's it's great and you get to travel or, you know, depending on the position, depending on the work. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, like we're talking about sequestration, there's, you know, annual budget problems. Uh, you know, it's 
there's still corporations that run, you know, whether, whatever you're doing, uh, if you're doing it overseas, it's, it's different. Uh, but I was doing a lot of domestic, uh, just training contracts, uh, within special forces. And, you know, uh, we, I saw a lot of big companies buying up smaller companies. Uh, it was less, less and less personal. Uh, it's less and less, you know, first name basis. And that's what we're used to in special operations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it went from, you know, a phone call of like, hey, Aaron, can you go teach this class over here for us? You know, we appreciate it to, you know, didn't know who the program manager was and whatnot and bigger and bigger companies buying the smaller training companies. And, and uh, just, you know, I, I don't know, it was, uh, you know, budgets are budgets everywhere, but, you know, it's, uh, it was just kind of teetering off a little bit there, a little bit uncertain. I kind of saw that uncertainty and I was like, man, I'd really like to switch to something else and had no idea what it was. So that, that was my take on it, but I don't know about, about you, Andrew. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of similarities. Uh, both are pretty fast-paced. We require, and this, something I'm learning business for right now is the difference between organizations that rely on robust processes versus those that rely on robust people. And I think construction very much relies on robust people. Mm -hmm. And the kind of people that come out of the special operations community, the kind of people who take leadership positions in the military, uh, certainly understand robust processes, right? depending on what your job is specifically in the military. But um, I really do. I think it's a, a challenge um, to, to go out and, and start a project and finish it um, and be proud of what you're doing. And so I think there's a lot of ties there, just in sort of person that gets attracted to both of those fields. Um, and then next, I think there is that, that, that component of camaraderie and, and just working hard and being you know, stressed as heck together and, and looking back at a project when you, you, you pull it off at the, at the ninth hour and you know, you're laughing about it over beers later, like, oh man, I did not think we were going to get that done. Can you imagine like, you know, oh, man, that owner's rep was such a, such a, God, he was such a pain to work with. You know, we all felt that together. You know, I think that's what brings people from military to construction because there's a lot of that, that similarity. I, I saw a lot of that similarity in Wolfville too. You know, a lot of guys transitioning, um, you know, going to be engineers or, or fry hands, whatever it was, uh, actually working right around Stillwater, spent mm -hmm. some time yep. in Oklahoma, um, you know, as, as an engineer. But I, I think that's that's where most people draw the similarity and can quickly step into construction from the military. Yeah, I've noticed it recently. I've gone from uh, been consultant for the same GC for about a year and a half now. Finished one project out and then transitioned over to another project, same client for him. Uh, and, you know, a few of the same people uh, from that project, you know, moving over and you got some of the same subcontractors. And so that camaraderie just carries over. And I'm like, man, this is something I'm very familiar with, but haven't seen in a while. And so that's been kind of nice, you know, having a few of the same, you know, upstanding, you know, younger guys on the same project. And, and it's been you know, you don't see that very often, you know, uh, depending on what you're doing. So it's kind of nice to, to get, you know, like I was a high performer on that project. And now we got them on this project, like awesome, because I was always huge about, you know, 
spotting, you know, high performing guy on a different team and, you know, stealing that guy away. Or, you know, if he's coming off of uh, active duty military and transitioning into the reserves or national guard, you know, you're trying to cherry pick those good guys. And uh, so, so it's kind of nice, you know, just kind of going one project to another and carrying over some of that talent. Um, And and guys appreciate it. There's, there's a big push for women in construction and, and, you know, those high performers, you know, they get scooped up by this project and that project and they stand out. Definitely. And I got a quick anecdote about exactly what Aaron's talking about. Uh, when I was a, a superintendent, I was interviewing a kid in college. He was, he was graduating from a construction science program somewhere in Louisiana, but he was serving in the Marine Corps Reserve as a, as a grunt which in, in our speak is, is an infantry man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what Aaron's family told him not to do, yeah. right? Don't, don't go infantry. Yeah. Um, but uh, his name is Chris. So Chris was was a a, uh, a rifleman in the Marine Corps Reserve while going through college. And as we were interviewing him to come work for us, we were asking him about his construction knowledge and previous experience and you know, what do you know, what do you want to do, where do you want to go with your career? And he's like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not sure what my skill set is right now. I'm not sure if I could come down to a job and make an impact. I don't know much about construction. And I, it was myself and another Marine on the call with him. And we looked at him and we're like, dude, you're a squad leader, right? You're, you're an infantry squad leader. He's like, yeah, that's right. You know, he's a corporal. You know, thanks, Bernard. Oh, yeah. Squad leader is a corporal. Yeah. And uh, we're like, Chris. You know BAMSIS, right? Right. And for those who don't know, it's it's uh, begin planning. It's a process by which you go about executing a plan, and it's it's just very very simple. It, it starts begin planning, arrange reconnaissance, make reconnaissance. Oh man, blanked on the eye. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be no help because that's no a, that's help a on that. It's, it's, on me. <laughs> I, I've obviously been out, out of the game for a while. But uh, it's, it's basically a process by which you you build a plan. And I'm sure my Marines now, you know, listening to me are like, <laughs> sir, what are you doing? You're embarrassing us. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, I, I forget the I. But, yeah, complete the plan. Issue. Uh, issue the order. Issue. That's right. Yeah, thanks, yeah, That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, issue the order uh, and then supervise. Right. And, and that, the, the key there is, is supervised, is, is that S, is, you know, we get paid as leaders about 10% of our paycheck comes from building the plan. 90% comes from supervising and making sure it happens. And, and I asked him about that. I was like, you, you know, Bantus, right, Chris? He's like, yeah, man, I do that all day. Like, it's, I've got a tattoo on my arm. He didn't actually, but, you know, it, it's, it's something that's been ingrained in him as, as a leader of Marines. And what I uh, told him, I was like, dude, you can come out here right now and be an asset on a project because you understand that process and you can go out and, and have structure to how you do things. You, you might not know everything there is to know about the specs and the drawings. You know, we can teach you all that. But the, the can-do attitude, your, your resilience that you've already demonstrated as a corporal of Marines and your process-driven mentality and the process you've already practiced you're going to be an asset for us. Uh, and he, he actually ended up hiring him. He's uh, at, at the company still. And the last I talked to some of my friends who were working with him, he's doing good things uh, and on a, on a upward trajectory. 
So pretty, pretty proud of Chris. Uh, if you're out there listening, man, <laughs> keep, 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 keep crushing it. <laughs> Shout out, Chris. Uh, but I, I mean, now that you kind of say that, I, I always think about it as professional and and personal traits that people have. But is it is it owed to more of? Wow, we've had such success with these guys from the Marines, from these guys from the Reserve, whatever it may be. Like, let's just keep hiring them. Is it is it like an an internal process of GCs or or whoever's hiring in the industry? To be like, yeah, let's let's go cherry pick. And what we've had success with is men and women from a military background. Like, is that what's guiding the industry to see this trend? Maybe, right? I don't see it really from um, – I can't really speak from a GC perspective, but I know my company, Relevate, uh, specifically, you know, there's like – three lines of effort when it comes to hiring people and one of them is specifically special forces green berets out of the army myself and then uh, a few other guys have been hired uh, after me i was kind of a guinea pig uh it's a good thing it worked out uh, so uh for us yes uh specifically but from a gc side uh i don't know if it's specific to that i mean i think it's a bonus if you find that uh but right. if they're not, they maybe should a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, maybe from from your side. I don't know if you can speak to that, Andrew. I mean, I think it certainly provides the opportunity to get some indoctrination to leadership and into being a, a process-driven leader, uh, which is what GCs and I think industry at large are hurting for right now. Um, but you know, the Coming out with a veteran qualification is is not an instant, you know, it's 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 you you can serve your time and, and not learn a darn thing, and, and I think you know it's it certainly helps and it's it's a leading indicator to to what your potential is, but it's I wouldn't call it the end all be all by any means. I mean I know some people who who never served and they you know it, mm-hmm. I, I bet I could throw them into a lot of the things that I've learned. They would pick it up and be do fantastic at it. Um, so I, I think it's it's an indicator, perhaps, but it's certainly not an end all be all. Right. Yeah, for sure. And then and then to take a step back, Aaron, um, you know where you are in the work you're doing now, um, working as a lean consultant, Relevate. We were talking a lot about kind of teamwork, the camaraderie, camaraderie, and and that aspect. Is that what somewhat lean, like get you over the fence when it comes to looking at the industry and then focusing on lean and that collaboration and that planning um, style and planning methodology um, to enhance that aspect that you see as very valuable in the industry? It does. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'll come in, uh, you know, to help out with planning sessions or help, you know, get them to implement, you know, this process or that process, uh, most of the time it's last planner system that we stick to if we find that they don't have any process. Uh, but yeah, that usually, you know, we come in to do a, a little bit of uh, just collaborative planning and that usually goes from there and they're like, wow, okay, we want some more of this, you know? So uh, my current client right now that's got me in, in uh, 
Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, I came in for a six-day business trip to help them, you know, implement last planning system. I was about a year and a half ago. I'm still there, uh, helping, helping, helping them out. Uh, it, it's been great, uh, great client. So, uh, so yeah, coming in to help them out and, and just seeing, you know, uh, them not, not struggle really, but you know, it's uh, it's not an easy industry. And so, you know, if everybody thinks they have the answers, they probably don't. Uh, so, it's one of those things that you're, we're coming in to help a company with, you know project specific, client specific, GC specific problems usually, but across the industry, there's a lot of problems. So it's, uh, you end up helping out with, you know, maybe stuff you didn't think about, you know, so we offer a handful of services. So you go from like, you know, you know, we, we need help with this and then you end up helping them out with that plus a few other things usually. Uh, so just depends, but yeah, it's uh, definitely the teamwork aspect coming in, just having that right approach of like hey i'm here to help you but not just from you know x y and z that you asked for it's like you know hey if if you know you guys want we can help out with this this and this and trying we're not hard selling it it's like hey it's there or we can just do you know what you asked for it's up to you uh but yeah it's definitely found myself very embedded in the team like part of the team at this point uh, trying to and help is it out, so is it more of a feel of the skill set of leadership that we were kind of just talking about and having that that core ability and then of course sharpening that that tool and that knife over over the years of working do you find yourself kind of coming into an area where that is lacking and that's why there there is assistance needed i guess uh yeah i, I kind of lean on the management uh you know uh, consulting as well, you know, even though it's not, I'm com not coming in, you know, hundred percent to do management consulting. I find myself, you know, trying to help them out in that aspect as well, because, you know, they might have 20, 30 years of construction experience, but, you know, it, they, they might be, you know, a little too focused on, you know, the specs and the building and all that stuff. And, you know, their people are like, man, you know, why are we staying late every single day? Or, you know, <laughs> it's, you know, not looking at it from, uh, you know, a, a military point of view of like, you're not just there to work people. Uh, you're there to take care of your soldiers and Marines and sailors and airmen, you know, it's, it's a little bit different of an approach uh, than I'm used to. So, you know, just kind of saying, Hey, you know, like, maybe let's plan this day out a little bit better. Uh, so you people don't have to stay late, you know? Uh, so that's, that's kind of what I found myself doing a lot of the management consulting side at first and then uh just depends on the project though it depends on the superintendent or the senior you know project manager who will whomever right for sure some of the younger project managers need help with finding their leadership style you know so it just depends yeah i think it's on a topic that gets brought up just a whole lot i mean i think it's certainly recognized it's valued but i, I don't even been familiar with a, a specific GC that has a, a program designed to develop leaders and, and, and to develop managers. I'm sure it exists. I'm just you know, not aware of it. But uh, you know, Aaron, I had a question for you about. You know, I'm, I'm not familiar with the special forces planning process. Perhaps are there any overlap similarities? Can you compare and contrast last planner with uh, the system that you're indoctrinated to? Yeah. So our 
military decision-making process in the first place. It's, just, it's very similar to its collaborative planning. Uh, but then, yeah, the way we do our mission planning, uh, well, we, the way we do it for, for Robin Sage, that exercise we spoke about earlier, is very, very uh, traditional uh, in the sense that, you know, it's we don't quite use it in the same aspect as much anymore in combat, but, or in training before that, but uh, it's definitely uh, a lot of similarities in the sense of like, okay, let's, you know, develop courses of action. Let's go with the right one. And then I see parallels with that with like choosing by advantages, you know, and, and systems like that, where it's like, oh, well, that's what we do for our mission planning, you know, where we're laying out, you know, how do we want to approach this mission? You know, we have the intent, but you know, which, which way are we going to approach this? Uh, so I do see a lot of parallels to that and it kind of helps me with my transition to, you know, working in the construction field. I might not know, uh, I don't have an engineering background, you know, and so it's, you know, helps me to help them plan. They have, I rely heavily on, you know, your project managers and your engineers and your superintendents like, Hey, I don't know that side. So I will help you with the planning, but you have to, you know, come to the table with that knowledge. Uh, so it's that, that thing of, uh, you know, we rely heavily on uh, our host nation fighting force that we work alongside, whether it's, you know, a uh, the proper military force that we're, you know, we're with in that nation or the guerrilla force that we're working with, depending on the mission. But uh, you find yourself leaning back on those, you know, mission planning cycles and saying, okay, yeah, there's some, a lot of parallels. Uh, it's, it's helped me to transition to construction. And uh, somebody had uh, suggested that my boss hire Green Berets because we're used to, you know, a lot of the same things. And so we're used to living overseas. We're used to embedding on, you know, with other uh, you know, entities, whether it's a military unit or a general contractor and helping them out. And so, uh, so he was like, you know, you could probably teach those guys the lean, you know, stuff and teach them the construction and they'll be fine with it. Uh, Cause he was struggling sending, you know, 20, 30 year, you know, engine process engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers overseas uh, to work on projects for extended periods. And they just weren't, you know, in assimilating on the team, weren't making any friends. They were just doing their job and, you know, that's it. And uh, so he's like, well, you can just use these guys. They're used to it. Uh, so, yeah, it's been an easier transition. But seeing the parallels is the biggest thing. Just, you know, how we approach things uh, from that military decision-making process. Uh, is, is there anything you learned from that have been doing the last player in this construction space? that if you were to start all over and give back to the teams, would take that with you? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, let's think about this earlier. Uh, we, we're so specialized, uh, you know, whether it's the individual job on the team uh, or our responsibilities on the team, we're very specialized in that sense where, and you do farm guys out to, you know, this mission, that mission, you know, you get a variety of experience, but uh, what I've seen in construction is that uh, they're not afraid to throw a guy under uh, a bunch of pressure, a bunch of responsibility, uh, 
with us, we, we very compartmentalize what comes to the money aspect and the costs and all that stuff. And so on my first project, it was like, oh, you're also going to handle, you know, the cost aspect and pay your subcontractor and pay your to your subcontractor and, you know, manage that from a labor perspective and, you know, make sure you're paying them or they will not work. Uh, so, and whereas on special forces teams, it's usually two guys that handle that and that's it. Uh, nobody else usually touches money, you know, and so there's a very specific line for that. And uh, whereas in construction, they trust most of the guys. If you're a superintendent, you're handling costs, you're handling your subcontractors, your tier subcontractors. And so, you know, any kind of change orders, you know, you got to pay on time, you know, you got to keep things moving. And so that was kind of a, uh, a thing where I was like, you know, we should be a little bit more trusting you know when guys are green berets just because they're a communications guy or just because they're a medic you know it doesn't mean they shouldn't handle any kind of cost money uh, so yeah that's, that's something i thought mm, that'd be a good thing to implement you know you're trusting these guys with everything but but money yeah. <laughs> so, so for two guys on the team yeah but like like twenty thousand in food money mm -hmm. or whatever <laughs> exactly and, 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 uh, for those listening food is uh was it field ordering yeah it's basically yeah. cash you take with you uh deployed and it's just two people who handle it yeah the, the person who buys the things and you have the person who does the accounting with yep. it yeah and uh like any kind of operational fund is uh very close hold it's very like you know well we can't spend it on that we can't spend it on that. so they Guys Until are, September first, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then you spend everything. Yeah, yeah. At once. That's a thing of. Uh, it wouldn't be such a you know taboo thing for guys to handle money if they were a little bit more accustomed to handle it at a lower level. Yeah. Because there's funds, but guys don't get to use them. It's like no, no, it's that guy that gets to use them, not me. You know, even though I probably need to buy some stuff or I probably need to you know pay this, uh, you know, for these services, you know, so it's, that's something I've seen where, you know, that is, you know, widely disseminated within the construction industry down to superintendent level, like, yeah, pay for this, pay for that, you know, yeah, time and material, that <laughs> pays oh, yeah. for a lot of stuff, especially with accelerated schedules. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's something I've seen that can be taken back and like, hey, maybe we should do this, try this out for a little bit. Maybe on a smaller scale, yeah, smaller <laughs> cost scale, yeah. And yeah, I, I really opportunity cost is good. Yeah, go ahead. Noah. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I, I was just saying I really was was interested in the the comparison of of being being dropped in a faraway land and being able to assimilate, make friends, things of that nature, being relative and a very valuable skill to have in in your position now um what what kind of strategies besides being the nice guy that you are and buying a couple rounds of beers you know at the pub um when you're when you're dropped into a new area what kind of strategies did you i guess transfer over from being a green beret or develop when you were in construction um and and how did that help you out how did that maybe inhibit you from from doing some things, but that was, that's just really interesting to me, like to be able to assimilate with, assimilate with a different culture, a different group of people, even if they're in, you know, the U S in Texas, 
Um, what kind of strategy do you pull over from your experience to help you do that? So for us, uh, any kind of pre-mission planning, a huge part of that is studying, you know, the people, the culture, everything we can about, you know, one, you know, the military unit we're working with, uh, or just the, the locals, the culture, everything we can, what, what's taboo, what do you not do, what you should be doing, you know, well, any of that stuff. And that's always been ingrained in us uh, since, you know, pre-Special Forces uh, back during World War II, you know, uh, when guys were doing a lot of undercover work back then uh, behind enemy lines. Uh, so knowing as much as you could uh, was the biggest thing. So before my first trip overseas uh, was my first project, was in Ireland uh, working on a big project. Uh, so I had just reading as much as I could. Uh, I was going over by myself. Uh, luckily, I had another guy join me about a week later who had been there once before, helped build that factory uh, years before. He, he uh, a prior military guy, and then he was just all construction, all levels, uh, from just a field foreman, moved on up to a project manager level, and uh, well-educated, lots of experience. And I was just very fortunate that he came over about a week after me to join me for the first five months. And I ended up staying a couple more months, but uh, I was very fortunate to have a good mentor in that sense. But uh, for me going over, you know, knowing I was going around somewhat blind, totally new industry, totally new career, uh, just reading as much as I could about, you know, who my client's going to be, any prior projects, past performance. And then it, culturally, I wasn't terribly worried about it. I, I look very Irish. I am very Irish. Uh, so as long as I didn't open my mouth, I was fine. Uh, I think the biggest jump was just driving on the wrong side of the car on the wrong side of the road. Uh, but at work, it was it was very much like, man, you better learn the acronyms. You better learn the lingo uh, before you get over there. Luckily, uh, Relevate, I've got a great boss and he prepped me as much as I could. I had about three weeks of prep time. Uh, so just trying to learn as much as I can. I was also fortunate my, my father came from uh, a project management on a city level uh, side. So he, you know, talked me through a lot of things like how, how they handle things, how change orders work and, you know, a lot of that stuff uh, in the industry, he was used to building, you know, new libraries, police stations, you know, city buildings and stuff in Southern San Diego. So I was fortunate that he had that background. Uh, but yeah, really just learn as much as you can about the culture, uh, the, the culture of the company you're going to work with or, you know, the projects you're going to work on. Uh, that was the biggest thing. And that's what I took from, from Special Forces training is that like you learn as much as you can before you go over, before you start working with them. Uh, yeah, I mean, so exactly what American tourists don't do all over the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone listening, just read a Wikipedia page before you just go a to a bit. city or something. Have, right. have, you, have you read The Ugly American? Uh, I haven't. No. <laughs> I, I, I recommend that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about uh, Americans abroad and the uh, difference between Americans abroad versus Russians abroad. Oh. And uh, there's a, an anecdote in the book where they say you know, Americans in America are the greatest people ever. Americans abroad are the worst. <laughs> Russians are the exact opposite. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Having seen both. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, 
Yeah, and, that's uh, one of those things, like, especially like uh, being in Ireland, you know, for an extended period and then, you know, looking the part, being there a while, like, and then I run into American tourists. And I'm like, do I really want to say anything to them or do I just let it go and act like I'm a local? <laughs> no, man, they will, they'll cling on to you. And then, then you're involved yeah. in, in their attitude towards international exactly. travel. And everybody's looking at you like you're their best friend, right? And then yeah. you're screwed for the whole day. The whole day, everyone yeah. in that neighborhood knows you <laughs> as their best friend. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, just... it was fortunate. Ireland's very, very uh, hospitable. You know, if you stop and ask anybody for directions, they're, they're very used to tourists. Uh, and so they're just the nicest people. So it's fortunate in that sense, but a lot of countries are not like that. So yeah, it's, it, you can't do that everywhere. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was kind of funny to see. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fortunate. Like I said, if I just don't open my mouth, I'm fine. Like, you no, know, everybody's just like, Oh, another Irish guy walking down the street. <laughs> yeah. My, my trick is I'm from New York city. So when mm. I, I want to assimilate without opening my mouth, I just walk, just walk. I'm back in the city, just fast head down. Like I'm going to work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just assumes you're like, Oh, he must be, must be off to the job site. He must be going to do something. Exactly. Um, and then add on to uh, Aaron's point about, you know, do your best to assimilate. Um, yeah, my unfortunate experience, um, having gone to Central America to work with, foreign militaries um, it took a lot of the same approach that Aaron took you know read everything there is you can read uh, do your best to learn the language uh, that you know, fortunate enough I spoke pretty good Spanish beforehand uh, it, it was amazing you know what I could get and, and talk to and it, yeah, the, the team the camaraderie I with these guys by just leading with their language you know I, I don't look like I speak Spanish I'm, I'm six feet tall you're blue-eyed um, <laughs> when I can start speaking their language, it, it kind of softens them up. Like, okay, yeah, this guy is uh, done. take made the effort to, mm -hmm. to learn about us, to learn about our culture, you know, and like having a story in your, in your back pocket that you can just say right off the bat and, and to really start to uh, build that rapport with them. But I think it's the same thing on the, on the job site. Because it's, it's construction has its own language. People you know, mm -hmm. talk about great beans, talk about trust as columns. I mean, there's, there's just a whole library of terms that if you can speak that at least, uh, you know, they'll, they'll kind of let you in. But if, if you start looking at, you know, a curtain wall and you're saying, oh, yeah, the, all that all that glass oh, over there, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, all right, get this guy out of here. <laughs> like, he, he might know everything there is to know about planning, but I don't want to work yep. First, first lesson, it's concrete, not cement. It's cement. <laughs> That's right. We're placing concrete. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You can get past uh, don't, don't get Andrew on the placing conversation. We got, <laughs> we got a lot of mistakes happening in our, with our colleagues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a constant <laughs> argument. And if you can uh, slip a few key words, you know, cementitious, you know, uh, yeah, things like that. People love it. They're like, what? Oh, this guy's great. Yeah. Yeah. What was the slump on that port? Yeah. Right, were we plus or minus six, plus or minus four and a half? Okay, yeah, great. We're great. good. We're good. Yeah. And I think what, uh, what I've learned on, on that side of things, too, I mean, I didn't come from construction as of three years ago, is really like what you said, Andrew, even with the 
the similarities to traveling abroad or working abroad or things of that nature. It's really the effort, right? You don't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. It's like, try, show that you're trying and show that you've, you've put in the time on your own time. And then you kind of get that respect. No one expects you to be perfect. Is that what you guys are seeing? Definitely. Just act like it, you know, they don't, 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 uh, don't attempt to overcompensate for, for your lack of, of knowledge or skills, you know, think to learn mm-hmm. everything you can learn, yep. but it, where there's a gap, stop and acknowledge that. And I think when you ask someone for help, like most people are, are more than willing to help you fill that gap. Yep. Yeah. You get <laughs> too deep into planning and then guys to, you know, the electricians usually like, I'm communications guy has a background, but I'm not an electrician. And so it's one of those things where, you know, they start going a little bit too deep into it. I'm like, all right, time out. Like you lost me back up a little bit. Like, like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm with you, but you know, you lost me, uh, you know, we're going to the one line diagram and, and I'm, I'm with you, but you know, you start throwing out some terms and I'm, I'm lost now. So, uh, just kind of keeping that that line where you're like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm helping you plan this, but that doesn't mean I know everything about it. And that's what I need you for and your expertise, your point of view. Uh, and that's why for me, I like doing the collaborative planning with everybody. Yeah. It's, it can be chaotic, but at the same time, it's like, all right, you know, as long as I have a little bit of, you know, background knowledge on the project or, you know, the phase of construction we're planning, you know, and, I'm good. I can roll with it. I kind of, you know, know a few key terms, a few things to look at, you know, whether it's from the client side, you know, what they're looking for or, you know, just hazards in the industry these days, you know, risks in the industry these days, you know, and watching out for those pitfalls when you're doing those planning sessions, keeps you out of water and you can come out with a good product. But uh, relying on those, you know, tradesmen that have been doing it for a while is kind of the biggest term like, hey, no. Like, I need your opinion. You know, I want your opinion and validate that. Uh, that keeps you out of, out of just being arrogant and saying, oh, I know how long it takes to do that. Like, like I don't need your opinion. Yeah, it's it's not true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Andrew, that was that was unlike your experience speaking Spanish, right? You just knew it all. You were like desperado right out the gate, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> But my first few phrases were spot on. You know, I could speak like a native. Uh, but after that, I, I really, I, and that's something that, you know, they actually trained us from before we went down south was like, look, it's okay to stop and say, ah, you know, what's, what's that word again? Can you help me with that? You know, and then you're, you're starting to build a relationship with that person uh, because then they're, they understand that they can trust you. Like you're not just trying to blow smoke at them. And that you're interested in their input. Um, and I think that's such a critical thing to do right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that first conversation with someone, if if I screw up a word or two and then ask them for input, that's I think that's a good place to start. Awesome. So so selfishly, I have I have a question for both of you, and then um, Aaron, well, I'll start with this. <laughs> I, I happen to, you know, stalk everyone on LinkedIn because I worked in sales and that's what we do. Um, yep. HubSpot, probably big friend. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. No. if you have a dog, I know its name, you know, I know its breed. Yeah. I'm going to act like I have the same dog in my living room during during a sales demo or something of that nature. No, um, uh, you're out in Colorado. 
you are a volunteer ski assistant, which I'm not positive. I'm an avid skier and ski backcountry out in Colorado, but not sure what a volunteer ski assistant does, but out in Breckenridge, which is one of my favorite places in the world. So tell me how you got into that. Uh, so a good friend of mine, my roommate from college, he's a military buddy of mine uh, that I went to Oklahoma State University with. Uh, he's a former uh, active duty ranger, and he's still in the National Guard in Colorado. Uh, he he lived in Colorado for a while. We both uh, went to Oklahoma State University. We, we both moved back to Colorado. He was living in Breckenridge, uh, and he was volunteering for that program. And unfortunately, I only got to do it for one ski season. Uh, I was fortunate. I was working kind of a 410 schedule. I had Mondays off. Uh, if I wasn't in a training cycle, I had kind of an active National Guard training position, uh, doing pre-deployment training uh, before people go on deployments. We were putting them through a set, you know, you know, two month or month and a half skill set, you know, just a refresher uh, before combat. And uh, so I had Mondays off and weekends off most of the time. And so uh, he was like, there's this great volunteer program up here. And, you know, there's full-time people that do the heavy lifting and that, but they rely a lot on volunteers. And so he's like, it's great. You can just do uh, you, the minimums three days a month uh, and you get a free ski pass. That's what uh, I was going to say. It's all for the past. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a uh, Breckenridge Outdoor Education Center, and they work with uh, a variety of people uh, uh, that uh, either developmental disabilities or wounded warriors. Uh, it just depends on who shows up, uh, you know, for that day. So, you volunteer. Uh, they put you through a little bit of training. Uh, you got to be a pretty good snowboarder or skier. Uh, luckily. When I was in Fence Special Forces Group, uh, they trained how to ski, backcountry ski, downhill ski, all that good stuff. Uh, so I'm a pretty, pretty decent skier. Uh, so coming out of that, so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And uh, they put you through some training and then you show up in the morning and like, okay. And they're like, okay, you're assigned to this full-time person. They'll pull the file of the person that's coming in to ski, talk you through it. Like, hey, we've got this, you know, teenage girl that's legally blind, a uh, little bit of developmental issues. Uh, so, you know, you stick to the bunny slopes, you know, she's only skied like, you know, a half day before, you know, parents go off skiing, you know, by themselves, we've got her for a full day on the bunny slopes and you just try and get them to that confidence level or, you know, maybe they've been there a while and, and uh, it can be, you know, severely autistic and nonverbal and, you know, they can only, you know, do so much they, you know, completely there mentally, but, you know, no motor skills, maybe, you know, so it's a real mixed bag of what you can get that day. And that was probably the most, you know, rewarding, you know, you know, days I've spent on the slopes for sure. You know, uh, my first day doing it, funny enough, the full-time person was a retired Navy SEAL. And so I was like, you're kidding. I'm a Green Beret. And he's like, that's awesome. And we had this great kid. He's 18 years old, huge kid, 18. Uh, couldn't really speak a whole lot. Uh, so they use what they call a bucket. So it's kind of like a small bobsled. And so uh, it's got some outriggers and it's lashed to him. He's tied onto this thing. He's kind of steering it. Uh, so he's like, okay, your job's real easy. You just keep anybody from running into us. Because if somebody hits me, 
that thing's just rocketing down the slopes. <laughs> so he's like, important job. So he's like, you can, you know, do your best. Like you're not trying to hurt people, obviously, but you are a blocker in this like scenario. So it's just like no poles, just skis, which I'm used to. We train that way in the military when we're doing downhill skiing. You know, you're, you're carrying a weapon when you're skiing in a backpack and not, you know, ski poles most of the time. So, uh, so you're used to that. So it was, it was a great day of just like this kid having just a great time on the slopes and, you know, me just like worrying the whole day that some, you know, out of control snowboarder is just going to take them out. So it was fun. I was trying not to hurt people. He's like, yeah, don't hurt anybody, but you can stiff arm people, like whatever you need to do, just keep them off of us. And uh, throw yourself down in the snow. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you, A, you got to keep up with us. B, you can't like stop and fight them because you got to keep up with us. And I was like, easy enough. Like I can do that. I'm a decent sized guy. So, and I'm, pretty good at skiing so yeah that was that was unfortunate I only got to do that for like one uh season I changed jobs and just there's hardly any time I don't live in Breckenridge but if you know if you're somebody that lives in Breckenridge uh they do Keystone as well uh, which yeah. isn't too far away just a great program help a ton of people uh yeah so, it's yeah, awesome was, it's awesome stuff I I did a little um ski instructing to get myself through the latter years of college and hmm. It's the ultimate ultimate equalizer, man. Everybody oh, yeah. can get a smile on their face. Everybody oh, yeah. is having a blast. It doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. Um, so I just I had to ask you about that because that's a huge part of my life. And now that we're talking about it, you know, I might be out in Colorado <clears throat> in a couple months, so we can go rip some pow. I don't know if you know that lingo, Andrew. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a ski yeah. thing, not a military thing. So no, it is. Yeah. It's uh, a, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I already have my pass. So my pass for the, the oh, yeah. resorts, they have a very discounted military. It's so, really good deal. Oh, such a good deal. Uh, was it three years ago? It was 79 yep. bucks. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's too good. Yeah, it's it's been and they've kept it really low. I think uh, I had paid say one eighty this year. Yeah, it was like yeah. I think for me being retired, it was like yeah, you know, like one eighty, I think. Yeah. It's somewhere around there it was great, great discount. Uh, that is not similar to my experience being a non vet. Um <laughs> no. so we can just move on for that. Yeah, I know. So 180, I just threw my microphone across the room. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's any bail resort too. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, can go to, you can come ski, come ski stow with me out in the on the East Coast. Um, <laughs> but before we kind of wrap up here, um, I know Andrew's got a ton. We work together, but it being, um, you know, a, a military based episode, I, I guess we could we could finish off with the the biggest lesson learned or the biggest near miss while in the military or your favorite story um which i just love to hear and i know our listeners do too so um if you guys want to kick it off i don't know if you have one ready or if you want to share it but go for it if you can Jeez, yeah i don't want to go after eric (laughs) (laughs) you go first i'll think about it (laughs) he's like i was james bond skiing with no poles down the alps holding a baby (laughs) after a uh, retired special forces sergeant (laughs) i'm just 
uh, you know, just a humble Marine Reserve captain. But uh, I would say that the time uh, we got rescued by the Salvadorian Navy, we were taking a, a small uh, vessel to an island between El Salvador and Honduras called Martin Perez, uh, just out there to go visit a, uh, it's like a fire team size. So four or five guys who were guarding the island for, for El Salvador um, and a storm blew in about halfway there. And we're in this boat that just couldn't take much more than a, a six inch wave. And uh, that fortunately it was Wednesday because that's when the Salvadorian patrol boats were coming back at that time. That's way in the past, but uh, they, they saw us, picked us up, and uh, we had the absolute worst 90 minutes on the water I've ever had, because that storm was rolling in and the boat was just going back and forth. And this uh, Salvadorian ensign was watching myself and my boss, the, the team, team lead, the major, uh, just get green in the gills. And we were just so determined we are not going to throw up in front of the Salvadorian ensign and his crew. We're just going to hold it in. But uh, I've never been more happy to see land ever. Uh, but we made it. You know? But uh, so, yeah, so that's why I wanted to go first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, that's like, it's a little Captain Phillipsy. You're good. That's That could be a movie, <laughs> a short movie, but a movie. Yeah, we, we got chewed out after that one. Uh, apparently, you're supposed to fill out some memorandum before you go on a, a partner nation vessel. Uh, you know, and we, we definitely beg forgiveness with that. Uh, but no, it's, it's a good experience. Yeah, it's a, uh, I'll just tell a uh, training story. We'll stick to that. Um, not a big fan of one-upping people. <laughs> so, and so, and yeah. you just did, just by saying that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to share my my third best story because it would have crushed that. So I'll, I'll go down to number seven. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell a contracting story. Uh, <laughs> so we, uh, I was working uh, for, uh, I was a contractor working overseas, working in Republic of Georgia, uh, working for, the State Department sends, you know, way back in the day, they'd send a military person over there, but uh, most countries do, United States and Great Britain don't. Uh, so I was working as a contractor. I just got out of the military after first eight years, I got out. Uh, I was out for about two and a half years uh, doing contract work, first for Department of Energy, because uh, I speak Russian, I'm a great beret, so they're sending us over to Russia. Uh, but uh, to do like vulnerability assessments for Department of Energy uh, facility, uh, well, program for their facilities. Uh, so, so I met a, a great guy, one of my mentors in my career. I'd met him uh, right before he retires for, from Special Forces. Uh, he's a retired colonel from Special Forces. And uh, he had taught uh, like my whole unit uh, cross-cultural communication class before we went to Bosnia. And then you know, but two years later, uh, my first contract uh, job, he was on that Department of Energy team with me. And then uh, we both left there. And then he called me up and said, hey, let's go to Republic of Georgia. Uh, they, they want us to go work for Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. It's kind of like a young junior. 
but just for Europe to do democratization, rule of law, to do a lot of election monitoring. We'd work with them a lot in Bosnia uh, with their election monitoring, democratization. Uh, so it's it's a lot of diplomatic work, but they also have uh, missions sometimes that do border monitoring or uh, human rights monitoring or that sort of stuff. Uh, it was like pre-Kosovo, they did a lot of that. Uh, because of what had happened in Bosnia. Uh, so, yes. so I go over to Republic of Georgia, I'm working up on the Georgian-Chechen border. That's the, uh, it's the, not the best place to work in the world, uh, just before 9-11. And uh, I'm working up there and uh, pretty much, you know, hiking in the border, on the border, uh, unarmed. We have a security detail from the Georgian border guards. Uh, there have been some incursions uh, with the Russian military uh, just prior to us getting there. And myself and my buddy, Jerry, we get there and uh, we're the first two Americans that they've had on the mission. So we've got two teams and we rotate every week. And so uh, about a year and uh, probably a year later, I'm, I'm on another team. We've uh, grown our mission. We've got a couple of bases and whatnot. I'm going on this patrol one day. And I've been there a while, and luckily I speak Russian, and we had kind of a newer team, and we go hiking up to the border and back down, and usually we'll put in an observation post and like watch the border, watch for specific areas, and then just report. And was, we're not stopping anybody, uh, so it was a pretty porous border uh, from, we were there just to observe. Uh, just to get the ground truth for the decision makers, and report back, and that's it. Uh, so. So it's raining, and anytime you have bad weather, uh, it's kind of a heightened level of, of awareness because we can only, you know, when it's bad weather, you can only uh, just kind of wait for the weather to clear up to get medically evacuated. <laughs> so we have a, we have a contract, uh, so it's old Russian helicopters getting you and great crews. We had a Georgian crew and we had a Ukrainian crew. Uh, but if you hurt yourself badly, you were going to be waiting a while. And we had Georgian doctors with us, uh, but very limited medical supplies and, and no real facility. So you're up on the border in like a sixth century village. Uh, so that hasn't had electricity since the wall came down. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, pretty uh, rules and understatement. So uh, we go on patrol and very mixed bag. Yeah, international team. And so, uh, we go up through this ravine and then we are coming back down the ravine. So we already walked along this like cliff edge uh, of this ravine, probably about a 20 foot drop and about a 40 foot like angled slide into a creek uh, essentially coming out of this ravine. So it was very rainy that day. We're coming back down and I'm standing there waiting my turn to get across this really narrow spot. <laughs> I'm standing there, I've got trekking poles and a light backpack on. And uh, I'm just standing there, just waiting, waiting my turn, and probably only wait like 30 seconds. And as I'm about to walk across this real narrow spot where you can kind of, kind of scoot along the whole side, or at least the dirt on top of the, the ledge that I'm on just gives way. And I just like hit on my right side and then like flip off the side of the cliff. And 
Like in the movies, you can just grab the side of the cliff and grab the edge. Oh, yeah, there's a root. Yeah, there's yeah, always, always something to grab right. onto. You That's know? also why okay. you never have poles in your hand, Aaron. You just right. told us that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I've got the loops on there, you know, so I like abandon both trekking poles and I grab onto it as hard as I can and just end up just scraping my hands up. And uh, those mountains are mostly shale, rock. So I, all I do is just scrape my hands up and then fall off like a 20 foot cliff and then it's pretty pretty high angle at that point and like luckily i kind of rotated in midair and like landed on my backpack and like i've got like water a little bit of food and like a big puffy coat in the back so it's like this big pillow cushion hit that and i slide about 40 feet into the rest of the ravine it's all shale rock so it's pretty slick uh come to rest at the bottom uh like feet in the creek and uh I'm like, oh, okay. My hat fell off and it comes rolling down. A little bit of dirt comes rolling down with me. I'm like, hmm, wow, that was close. And uh, get up, put my hat back on, like brush myself off, kind of do a little, little yeah. check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, did I break anything? I, I kind of like tweak my right ankle. A uh, couple little tiny nicks and scrapes here and there, but nothing major. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And I like have to climb way up and around to come back. And I get back to the back end of the patrol and nobody's paying attention to the rear of the patrol. <laughs> like, and uh, they're all kind of like crowded and looking, trying to look for me, but I'm off this edge and they can't really see me. And I'm like, what are you guys looking at? <laughs> and they're all like, turn around. They all thought I was dead. They all were like, just like, like oh my God, we thought you were a goner. And uh, there's a great Swedish guy, uh, came from the Swedish military, Swedish Navy. I think he was like, teaching their version of, of uh, the Naval Academy. And he's just clinging to the side of that cliff. Like, I am not going any farther. We're like, you kind of have to. You can't, can't live here, buddy. You, know, you got to keep going. They're like, how in the world did you survive that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just lucky, man. Sometimes you just get lucky. And, uh, just things work out sometimes. So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't recommend it. Like falling off a cliff when you know, like, you break a leg, like you're gonna be hurting for a while. Like, do not recommend that. The the mentality of, I mean, we've all been there where we have an epic fall, and <laughs> and somehow, somehow just navigate around complete and utter injury, and then the next thing to follow is that, you know, eight year old little boy mentality where it just goes, oh, I'm not dead. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was like, this is great. Like I, I, I seriously had like a few little nicks and cuts and that was it. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, huh. All right. That's how it's going to be today. Huh? All right. I'm going to go back and, uh, just, well, that was my lottery yeah. ticket. So stay, yeah, exactly. stay <laughs> for the rest of the time. We used up a lot of it that time. <laughs> yeah. It'll happen. It'll happen. Um, so I'll let you guys, I'll let you guys go here. Um, but you know, last kind of topic here, what, what's next for both of you? I mean, Andrew and I work together every day, so I might know that one, but I'd love to hear it. Um, and in terms of for you, Aaron, I know you're at Relevate. We love you guys. Um, what, what's next for the company, for yourself? What are you thinking about in the industry? Uh, for me, uh on a professional level, just building my lean certifications, uh, probably a PMP certification, 
building that knowledge, I'm kind of stuck in between, you know, uh, you know, when I'm working in the field, helping clients out, you know, uh, staff augment team, my superintendent, you know, I can, and my project manager here and there, it just depends on the project I'm on. So just kind of not, uh, just thinking of it, I'm only a lean consultant, you know. Uh, so yeah, just just trying to continue to build my knowledge in the industry. Really, uh, I've only been in it for three and a half years, so uh, it's not much compared to a lot of people. Uh, so just trying to build those certifications up and just um, help myself out professionally, really. Um, but project-wise, uh, I'm not quite sure. I'm coming towards the end of a, a project, uh, so. Uh, been fortunate with this really great client that we have. So uh, we'll see, stick with them a little bit more if I can, if if not, uh, move on to another project. Uh, we know uh, Intel Microprocessors is one of our biggest clients. And so uh, usually we, we stay uh, around to help them out a lot on big projects and they're doing a lot of investment right now and building a lot. So, so uh, possibly back to one of their projects. Cool. And with with all of our, our partners and, and the relationships we have through TouchPlan professionally, I always like to give you a, a minute or two window to say who you guys are and what you guys do and, and how people can find you. Yeah, so uh, Relevate Lean Consulting, uh, about the, the only one out there with, uh, with that name, Relevate. Uh, there's some close ones out there to us, but uh, yeah, we offer a variety of services. Uh, and so the uh, biggest thing is uh, we've been working with you guys for, for an extended period. I know uh, my boss, Connor Butler, and, and Hal Maycomer, and uh, all the guys, Amanda uh, McKernan, everybody, you know, helped us out a lot through various projects. And, and uh, so it's nice to be kind of back in the fold on an official basis uh, with the partnership programs that you guys have. Uh, so, yeah, it's been a great relationship. And uh, so, yeah, we've got obviously a website, LinkedIn page, all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, uh, look us up. It's, uh, we're out here to, to help out. That's the biggest thing, help the industry. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited to have you all as a, a consultant partner. It's a brand new program that we just set up. Uh, in Relevate was at the top of the list of people to reach out to. So we're excited to have you all on board. Absolutely. For sure. And Amanda McKernan getting the shout out. We're going to have to send her that sound <laughs> clip so she can have a blast with it. Um, well, thank you guys for, for coming on again from from TouchPlan and myself. Thank you for your service. And we got to do this again. Definitely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you soon and enjoy the rest of your night. Yeah.